it seems like in the Middle East it's fashionable for some radical groups to say, death to Israel. In your opinion, what will it take or what should be going on so it's no longer fashionable to be saying, let's wipe out the state of Israel? Hmm, That's a real good question. Welcome to You Are the Guest, a weekly show where you can be the guest and tell people what you and your friends and neighbors think about news events and issues of the day. It's part talk show, part opinion poll, part reality show, and a whole lot of fun. And it's completely dependent upon your participation as a guest. To be considered as a guest for a future show, check out the website at www.youaretheguest.com for details. Now here's your program host, Bill Grady. Greetings from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa, and welcome to show number 51 of You Are the Guest, the show where we talk to everyday people just like you and me about their lives and about the issues of the day. Our guest today is a returning guest all the way from Maple Grove, Minnesota. Steve, welcome to You Are the Guest. Thanks, Bill. A pleasure to be here, actually live and in person. That's right. We did it over the phone last time. That's but right. You're, you're actually visiting for Dodge. You're our first live interview. Well, when you sent for the company limousine, the You Are Our Guest jet, you know, I couldn't refuse. So I had to come. And you're also overpaid. (laughs) (laughs) That goes without saying. Hey, we need to explain our purpose for today because you're down here live for a reason. That is because we're old friends. That's right. And we're catching up on a lot of things. And to explain how you got on the very first show was that you were the guinea pigs. That's right. You and your wife, Diane, when I was first looking at doing this podcast, I said, hey, need some guests because nobody knows the show is around. So would you be willing to be the very first guest? And if it goes badly, I won't embarrass anybody. If it <laughs> if it's not too bad, we'll go ahead and make that the pilot show. And so you were on the very first show. And we appreciate you digitizing our voices to mask our identity. So if it really was bad, nobody would know that we were affiliated with that. That was good. If it, good touch. And also the... I thought that the blackmail would also be a great (laughs) source of revenue later on. So we also want to thank you for those weekly checks. You're welcome. You're welcome. But since we've blown your cover, that all ends today. So I've just (gasps) disconnected the revenue source, I guess, if you will. I'd like to say hello to our worldwide audience. I'm so glad you could all squeeze in today. Maybe they could move over to the left a little bit, let Greenland in a little bit. So There, now everybody's in. For, for those that haven't heard of you or haven't heard of show number one, listen to show number one, tell me about yourself and tell me about your family back in Maple Grove. Absolutely. Um, Bill uh, and I first met back in, I believe, the fall of 1980 in a little burg not too far from where this show is originating and uh, got into radio way back then, stayed in it in, on air, in sales, and we've stayed in touch all that time, got married uh, to uh, Diane in 1987. Have two children, no pets. Um, working now, I've left the whole media industry, at least direct media industry, and I'm working with an event management company. So if anyone needs an event managed, no fee too big, you know, no uh, project too big. And you'll be able to help them out. Yes, email Bill, and he'll know how to get a hold of me. Okay, so. and I'll expect that 15% commission. Always. Send them my way. <laughs> Okay, here's, here's the first question for you. Okay. A year ago, when you were first on the show, we talked about high gas prices and terrorism in the world. 
How have those things changed in your view a year later? Well, gas prices continue to go up, and that has not been good. We pay about, when I came uh, on this trip, $3.19 a gallon. I'm sure a year ago I was probably paying in the two. So we do a little bit less as far as going out to eat. Um, we didn't take as many family outings this year. We're going to be doing one uh, coming up here soon, but uh, we've cut back on that. Wasn't going to travel via um, airline to see my mom in Florida. That's not happening this year. So, I mean, it's cut into family budget. I think that, uh, you know, uh, with the terrorist situation now, the uh, the war going on uh, between uh, or in Iraq is, you know, that's continuing on and lingering and doesn't seem like any end is in sight with that. And then our other friends in the Middle East aren't getting along now either. So that wasn't even happening, at least not in large scale back then. So in a way, it's almost escalated because gas prices are higher than they were. Yep. And also, the war in the Middle East has expanded. It's accelerated, I think, a lot of fear, you know. And, I, and you know, as far as it ties back to oil, I mean, it's caused the prices to, to go up. And, you know, I think that, you know, finding alternative sources for, you know, the, the fuel that runs our country's economy, I mean, that's somewhere, somehow, we need to either be able to find more of it here where we don't have to depend on it or find ways to create it or find alternate, you know, uh, uh, fuel to power our plants, automobiles, all of that. I think that, you know, there's starts in all of those, but we've been saying that since the 70s when we were standing in gas lines complaining about uh, the scarcity of gasoline then, too. And, you know, here we are. We're still kind of feeling like we're in the same boat, you know. What are people saying about the war or the conflict between Israel and Hezbollah in your work Area. Well, I, you know, we haven't talked a lot about it directly. I think that you know, in our world, in the event world, world events are a concern uh, in in that industry. Just to the fact that a lot of people will choose to do events or will choose to travel to go to events based on how confident they feel things are going uh, overall in the world and in in the economy. And I think this is it's it's made things less stable. I think that you know, tying back to the terrorism uh, as well. You know, back right after September 11, people weren't going out to conferences and traveling and that sort of thing. So it, uh, you know, it did put a crimp in, in people's plans as far as what they did, how much they spent, and that kind of thing. So, you know, we don't have a lot of conversation about it. I, I think overall, you know, in the feeling that I have, it's, it's uh, tragic that these groups of, of individuals who have been battling for so many years can't finally see the light that you know, it would be so much more, uh, so much more productive in so many ways just to find a way to get along and to coexist. Um, you know, I, as, as far as all the evils that the United States has, I think that we have a pretty good model for pr pretty strong coexistence with a lot of different types of people. I mean, there's certainly strife within our borders, but it doesn't reflect anything like what goes on, uh, you know, over in the Middle East. Uh, and it's just amazing that so much has gone on for so many years, and it just doesn't seem to ever change. When I talk to people, I usually ask them, okay, you know, what do you think about Israel and Hezbollah and fighting and, and having that all turn up? And they say, so what else is new? You know, they mm -hmm. just think that it, it's an ongoing deal. And there is some truth in that. It seems like in the Middle East it's fashionable for some radical groups to say, death to Israel. In your opinion, 
what will it take or what should be going on so it's no longer fashionable to be saying, let's wipe out the state of Israel? Hmm, that's a real good question. I, I think, you know, sadly, it's going to take some very mass disaster. I mean, I'm talking about someone either finding a way to, uh, not even a nuclear device, but some sort of massive infliction of, of uh, death or pain or something. That, you know, now they drop a bomb here or there, and it's, it doesn't seem like there's a big, large, cataclysmic kind of a thing that happens where, you know, which might get people to stop for a moment. But I'm a, I almost fear that if that happened, it might draw a bigger retaliation. You know, so I just, you know, I don't know what can stop that whole cycle. It just seems like a very vicious cycle. One of my past guests who was on the show was from Pakistan, and I asked him, name a positive Muslim role model. And he struggled for a while to really find one that somebody would recognize around the world. Do you think that's one of the main problems that Americans have right now with the Islam regimes and all that, is they don't see anybody positive that's working toward peace? I couldn't name one. You know, that's, a, that's a big... We seem to give the attention, and probably you know, somewhat rightly so, to the extreme members of, you know, of that faith, you know, the ones that typically are bent on hurting people for what, you know, the, the, uh, the movement forward of their cause. So, yeah, it's, uh, I can't think of, of one positive, you know, person out of that, out of that uh, affiliation. Do you think if that person appeared, though, that it would change how Americans see the Middle East and in the Muslim world? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully, if someone would actually be able to gain that kind of stature, they would get a following. And that might start a positive effect and a positive ripple through, you know, you know to that group of people. Um, you know, I, I can't believe that there isn't someone, you know, within that faith that is not you know, for peace, for, you know, cooperation. And it's almost amazing that no one has kind of tried to step up to that role. Maybe there's fear in doing that. Maybe there's a lot of truth to that, because if somebody were to step up, that some of these hate groups out there would want to take mm -hmm. them out, want to silence that. So in a way, that's another way that the fear has hijacked either a religion, the Muslim religion, or the Islamic way of life. Your comments? Good point. That's a, that's a very good point. How do you see the political scene in America shaping up with the congressional elections coming up? Do you see the Democrats gaining some foothold, especially in Minnesota? What's, what's your prediction for the upcoming elections? <laughs> My prediction. I'm, I'm terribly unschooled. In, in in those matters and ways, I, I think that I'm probably like a lot of Americans. I kind of wait till the campaigning really ramps up, and the people who are going to try to step into the new roles really start to kind of sell their position. And I'm not really a party person. Uh, I look at who are the individuals that are going to be running, and what do they represent. And if one person's independent, or one person's a Republican or Democrat. You know, that is a secondary thing for me. It's really kind of more what that person stands for. Uh, I don't know if I, did I say this in show one. Uh, I did vote for Jesse Ventura. Uh, I'm embarrassed to say it now, but uh, it is someone who I voted for. And I think at the time it sounded like a good thing to do. He did some good things. He also did some very embarrassing things, too. So, you know, 
live and learn. So I, I couldn't give you a prediction on what's going to happen. I think politically, though, I think President Bush has done um, a spotty job, and I think that's going to obviously make it difficult for some people to, you know, to be able to get back into into office. And um, I I would sense that uh, it would be very difficult if, if Vice President Cheney wanted to try to run for president. I think it would be very difficult. I think that their track record has been so-so as far as what they've done. And I think he's also, you know, some of the things that he's been involved with, with shooting somebody and, you know, some of the, just, just some very strange things going on with, uh, with him that uh, I think it would be very hard. What do you think are some of the hot buttons that the average everyday American will respond to when it comes to political time? Will it be the gas prices? Will it be the war in Iraq? Will it be the minimum wage? What issues will kind of grab people's attention in just their everyday life? Well, I think that what's going on over in the Middle East will be a big one because it ties back to, you know, what's happening with the oil, what's happening with the stock market and, you know, people's confidence in things because it just ripples all out from, you know, if it costs more to transport this to that, it means everything's going to go up in price. Um, the terrorism, I think that, you know, fortunately it think in, in, within our borders it's been quiet and I hope that, uh, you know, that will continue on as well. I don't know if it's quite the the front-burning thing, but I think it's always in the backs of people's minds. I know it's in the back of my mind all the time. You're wondering, you know, are are we doing all that we can? And, you know, in a lot of things that they don't broadcast in the news or write in the papers as far as what's being done behind the scenes. But, uh, you know, I, I think that, I think that uh, you know, how what we're doing over in the Middle East, how we're perceived by the other countries, and what kind of impact that has back here at home, both um, in the economy and just people's lifestyles, that'll have a big factor. And I think that, you know, somewhere someone's going to have to figure out an answer on how we gracefully and successfully complete whatever's been started in Iraq. Um, I think it's going to take a long, you know, sadly, it's going to take a long time. It took a long time to get into the condition that it was in. You know, it's going to take a long time to get out because there's a, a whole bunch of people that are just waiting for us to depart so they can swoop in to try and cause more problems. So, you know, it'll it'll be a while before I think they get that infra- infrastructure set up with people who can be trusted. I almost see that same scenario happening with Israel and Hezbollah because how do you get out once you start the ball rolling and you start going after the terrorists, especially if it's a movement, it's a really hard way to get it. So maybe Israel today is in the same place that the U.S. was when it went into Iraq, which was, it was easy to get in, but much harder to get out. Yep, yep, I agree, I agree. And, you know, with with the United States, you know, the, our civilization, I'm you know, watching, you know, just images from CNN and, and some of the other networks, when you see the people in the streets and, and just the way that they, they, they protest and guns are a very big part of, you see people celebrating with guns and weapons, you know, and it's not something that we see here in the United States typically. Uh, you know, the, the mindset and the culture, you know, somewhere uh, someone has to be an effective change. Maybe that's going to be someone that will step up in the Muslim uh, community. Uh, you know, some, somewhere something has to, to change that's on a very, very high scale so it can trickle down. I don't know if it can come from the base up because it seems like the base up uh, is uh, a lot of preconceived and and connotations and and beliefs that have been handed down for generation to generation and generation that have got us kind of sitting in the same spot today, only with uh, more sophisticated ways to, uh, you know, basically pound the opposition, you know. 
catapults and boulders thousands of years ago, and now they can do it with rocket-propelled bombs, you know, so. Straight from Iran and Syria. Yeah, yeah, yep. What should this country be doing more of? Hmm, good question. I think that the country should be doing more to take care of ourselves first, and that's kind of a vague answer, but, you know, I think that, you know, we do a lot to serve and to help you know, even with Iraq, you know, uh, we're going to help them build democracy and freedom. Well, how bad do those people there really want it? I'm sure that a lot of the, the populace did, but, uh, you know, there's there's still so many things broken internally here in the United States. Uh, we can't control the borders. Uh, you know, there's uh, you know, there's portions of almost every city in the United States that need rebuilding and that, you know, in help that it's very difficult for a lot of, you know, cities to be able to handle on their own, at least in a, in a, in a timely manner. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that, you know, trying to find ways to try to make sure that we have taken care of keeping our infrastructure very strong uh, before we tend to go off and race. I mean, look what's going on with North Korea, you know, I mean, but they're making so much noise with the weapons that they have. I mean, if we had a couple more countries decide to really become trouble, our world efforts were spread very thin now. I mean, imagine how much more thinly it would be spread if a couple more people decided to, um, you know, really uh, create some threat, uh, you know, to us or allies that we're, you know, we're tight with too. So, I mean, I think that would be one. I think that in President Bush, I think is somewhat good at it, but I think that we've got to try and build more consensus with other countries. We tend to, I think, rely on the relationship with Tony Blair a lot, um, which is, you know, a great ally, but there's a lot of other countries that I think we need to try to find ways to, uh, you know, to get along with and, and, and really work with. What's going on in Minnesota? What's the big issue for the state of Minnesota right now? I think that we've lost a lot of business. Uh, Fortune 500 companies have left Minnesota, which I think, and, that, and some of it because of uh, taxes and the cost of being able to do business in Minnesota is higher. We've lost business to the Dakotas, to Wisconsin, I believe, and probably even to Iowa as well. Um, I think that's a, a challenge. I think it, you know any place where there's agricultural activity going on, I think that that's a challenge because fewer people want to be doing that. And uh, you know we're still a, we're, we're not as as agriculturally intensive in Minnesota as we are in some of the other states nearby. But um, you know I think that that's. That's a challenge as well. I think, you know, overall, I think the economy in Minnesota is good. Uh, We've got a lot of sports teams that are begging for stadiums and want a lot of money uh, for that. Uh, but, um, you know, infrastructure in Minnesota is, is good. Uh, in the metro area where, where I live, there are, there are challenges with transportation that are real problems. We don't have a very effective uh, uh, public transportation system. Our roadways are very, very much in need of modernization. They were built, most of the infrastructure was built back in the 60s, you know, when the population was far smaller. And, uh, you know, we've got roads that are, you know, two-lane roads, and every day, you know, cars are burning gas, creeping along, trying to get to and from one place. So, uh, you know, th- th- those are the things, I think, the big things that I see. I, I think overall, I, you know, the Midwest is, is pretty strong. Family values are pretty good. Uh, the economy, I think, is, is you know, economies in the area are, are pretty strong. How do you see the world changing over the next 10 years? The world changing. Okay, get that crystal ball going. Well, I would hope that maybe there'd be some way to 
make the United Nations a more effective organization. I think that their record is kind of spotty on how effective they've been able to be in getting countries to play nice in the sandbox. Um, I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens over in Russia. Uh, you know, so much has changed over there, and uh, I think that from what things that I'd read that it sounds like the relationship between uh, at least our current president and their leaders is so-so. I think that we get along on some things, but then I think there are some pretty stark differences of, of opinion on how things should be done between us and them. And, you know, they're not the super, super power that they used to be, but they're still a very, very big player uh, in the world. And I, I think that, um, you, know, there are, you know, there are things that two countries with the size that, we, that, that us two represent, uh, you know, we could do a lot, I think, to kind of make, make things better. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how the bigger players can, you know, can continue to work. I mean, there's, well, there's a lot of hot spots. I mean, you go like what's going on in, in you know, the, the world and in Africa and, you know, in some of those areas where there's so much disease and, and challenges that they have. Do you think Russia can be trusted, though? Well, I think you have to to a certain degree. I mean, they still, they still hold so much, uh, uh, you know, military technology from back in the, uh, you know, in the days when they were the USSR. And but that doesn't mean you need to trust them. Well, I mean, trust is, you know, it's a relative term. You know, I mean, trust them, you know, to a, to a degree. Uh, I think that it would be helpful for us, just like we t- we're trying to prescribe for the Middle East to get along. I think that, you know, somewhere some common grounds could be found. You know, it's, it's amazing to me that, you know, the United States can be so productive and yet other countries, for, and maybe they don't think that that's a good, maybe they don't think that our way of life is the best way to be. But uh, you know, other countries can't look at the model of what we have here in the, you know, in the United States and figure out, oh, okay. You know, this this might be a good way to try to build toward. There was a story in the other in the news the other day about how people in in Russia, that like one week a year, they have to like take cold showers because the 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 government runs the hot water program, and you know they test your pipes in one part of town for a whole week, and during that week you have to shower in cold water because you know you you don't have the capability in your in your dwelling to be able to have your own heat. You have to depend on. Uh, you know, state the, state, the run, state run water heat. Yeah, you know, it's like, and that's kind of it's still that that mentality of we will take care of you, the capitalism versus communism style. I mean, their their style certainly not like the communists, but uh, still some of that infrastructure still uh, still lives where we're the big benevolent big brother, and we will give to you what we think you ought to have when you ought to have it. Um, you know, maybe maybe uh, from a point of. Uh, Fuel usage, and maybe from the the ecological standpoint, that might be more efficient. But uh, you know, it just kind of still kind of shows a different ideology about how you know we have to depend on you know someone else in the in the bigger in the bigger sense to kind of give us what we consider to be basic needs and wants. During my conversations with this show, I've talked to people around the world, and there are some folks that say America should butt out of certain conflicts, certain things, and just let those countries take care of itself. There are those people who say America isn't doing enough and it needs to do this. As just an average, everyday American, this is your country. Should America play a leadership role or should we just say we'll be glad to step out of it and we just won't interfere with anybody's business anymore? What do you think we should do? 
Well, with so many different companies having presence in in other countries all over, I think that we almost have to be involved some way, somehow. I think that, again, it kind of comes back to how much cooperation can we try to develop through organizations like the United Nations. I mean, the idea of the United Nations is a great idea. It just, when it comes down to actually that organization ever having any teeth to really do something that affects a country, uh, you know, whose policies are not in line with what, you know, would be right and proper, just it never seems to be able to ever, you know, to, to affect change. Not I mean, that's not always the case, but... Well, let's take, for example, what's going on over in Lebanon and Israel. The U.N. had troops over there. Yep. But they just watched them do it because nobody wanted to really lay down their life for a conflict that started in another country. Yep. Yeah. Well, you know, there is that. I mean, and, and the neutrality of it. I mean, when I think about what kind of things can the United Nations do, it would be limited. It would certainly have to be what they, what their typical card they'd go to would be sanctions. Uh, and sometimes sanctions don't matter. If the country wants to fight, the country's going to fight. They can cut us off and you can do all of those things. Um, you know, as far as what the United States gets involved in, I've, you know, the, the history shows that when, when the United States was in isolation mode, it, that, that, that caused problems. Um, you know, I think that there's probably a balance somewhere in between. I think we're probably sticking our nose into maybe, you know, too many things, some of which I probably wouldn't even know what we're doing just because I, I haven't read enough of what all the different little um, projects that our, our government has got us into. But, you know, we do. We're in a lot of different things. We're over in Afghanistan. We're in Iraq. We're, you know, we're in uh, parts of South America. You know, we still have, uh, you know, military stations in South Korea. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of places that we have resources allocated. You know, now we're trying to secure the borders with Canada and with Mexico, and we're calling, you know, people who are in the National Guard to go and... And now you've got things. Cuba... As well, that yeah, could... That's an interesting little uh, little piece of jewel, what might go on there, yeah. I mean, um, Castro, we've been... The country's been waiting for Fidel Castro to, to uh, go away in one way, shape, or form for how many years? What, 50 years? 40 years? Since day one. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it'll be interesting. His brother apparently is is in assisting, in, assisting uh, in control of things down there. I'd have no idea what the philosophy of, uh, I think it's Raul Castro, if memory serves. I have no idea what his uh, philosophy. I imagine if he's uh, the brother, he probably shares a lot of the same style and temperament. Uh, He probably wants the party to continue. Well, yeah, you'd think so. But, uh, you know, it's interesting that, you know, just it's so close to our shores that uh, a country like that is doing its thing and... You know, we've kind of just—I think we've just kind of kept an eye on them. They're kind of like the neighbor next door. <laughs> kind of keep an eye on, but as long as they're not uh, causing major, major problems, uh, you kind of just let them go until they move. <laughs> they're the neighbor next door that doesn't yeah. have any heat, any water, yeah. any electricity, yeah. because they basically have been isolated from from the rest of the world. And uh, so, it, it's, uh, Cuba should be a very interesting scenario to watch. That one, when you talk about over the 10 years, what will happen in the world, that will be really interesting. Can, you know, can that country embrace something that maybe is a little bit more uh, friendly to the people, I mean, the general public there, that would actually maybe increase the standard of life? What things do you remember about your time on the radio in Clarion? Um, I remember it being a lot of fun. I uh, remember, you know, the... 
the dream that I had in my mind at that time that I was going to someday be a big-time uh, radio guy in Minneapolis and St. Paul, and that's how I would make my living for the rest of my life doing that. Well, that didn't turn out uh, as I had originally thought, but um, probably for the best. Um, just good people, a good experience. You know, we had a chance to do everything there, which I think is what small radio really was all about back in the uh, you know in that era, and certainly way before that. But uh, you know, the night shift, you know, the, the guy not only got on air experience, but you got to sweep the floors or vacuum the floors and take out the garbage cans and you know and do all of those things. So it was really kind of one of those old school apprenticeship kind of jobs. And the guy that was there before you or, or came on after would give you instruction of what you were supposed to do and what you weren't supposed to do and give you tips and, uh, you know, that, that you really got a chance to cut your teeth. Um, I think that within, uh, within a small town, especially on a radio station, you got a chance to see what it felt like to be a, uh, at least a small-level celebrity, you know. You'd write a check and somebody would see your name on the check or you get introduced to somebody. It's like, oh, you're the guy who's on the radio, you know. So that was kind of cool. I mean, in its own little way. It's like, you know, people recognize me, you know. So um, didn't make me any more money, but. Uh. <laughs> but you, at least look, you left the store with a bag of groceries and a smile. Yeah, you know, it was kind of cool. And particularly if someone said something nice or I really like, you know, like listening to your show or some you said something that was funny. And you may say kind of like, oh, okay, that was, that's, that's cool. You know, I, I can only imagine what, you know, people who are real celebrities, I mean, the real Hollywood kites that are hounded by people. I was never hounded by anyone, thank goodness. But, uh, you know, I might have enjoyed it for a little while, but. That would be not fun. I, I would never want to have that kind of celebrity or, or to win the instant lotto and have your picture all over the paper and, uh, you know, have people wanting to, you know, get your time and attention to, to solicit you for money. But uh, it, it was just a lot of fun, you know, and an adventure, you know, first time away from home and all that. So that was, that was very, very cool. What's a funny story you can share with our <laughs> audience about those days in Clarion? A funny story that I can share. Well, I think that some of the things that we used to do were, you know, we'd get out of get out of as much work as we could. Um, we had, uh, you know, people who would. We since the proximity of where I lived to the radio station was rather close, they'd have people who would uh, want to try and call on on me and. Uh, and others to take their shift on the air when the weather was inclement, like we had lots of snow, which we often get up in the Midwest, and <laughs> to the lengths that we would go to to not have to uh, do that person's work, like to shovel out, you know, city streets and and actually go and physically get in the car and go pick somebody up to bring them to the radio station so we wouldn't have to do their, probably spend three hours of work clearing snow and driving to get them so we could get out of a three-hour shift uh, on the air. That was a lot of fun. Uh, here's a great one, and you were involved in this one too, I believe. Uh, this was this was probably one of the funniest, silliest, dumb stories. But it was one that I always, when I think of it, I always smile. Uh, back uh, when we were doing uh, radio broadcasts of wrestling, which when I first heard about it, I thought, what could be more dull? But then after you actually view some good wrestling, it actually was interesting to hear. But um, Got to go to Oklahoma City and do the broadcast of the NCAA wrestling tournament, and ABC Wide World of Sports was there. And uh, I thought, oh, wow, this is really cool. So between sessions, I went down to the trailer, met some of the guys from ABC Sports, and they had uh, around the arena that they had, they had put up some of the big Wide World of Sports banners. 
And they had a couple laying around. And so I asked the guy, I said, hey, can I have one of those? And he said, sure. So he found an envelope, tucked it inside. I mean, this banner was like, I don't know, it's six feet by six feet square. I mean, it was really good, good size. You know, and they had the ABC Wide World of Sports banner on it. Really cool. So one, uh, one weekend or one Friday night, uh, we had a radio broadcast of a high school football game in some little town. I, I, it was uh, Belmont Broncos versus like Dows or some. The, the, the stadium I think held like you know seventy five people. It was really small, and we climbed up in the you and I. We, it was you. We climbed up in that broadcast booth, and we we hung out the ABC Wide World of Sports banner <laughs> on the outside of the broadcast booth. And I, I don't know if we dressed up a little nicer that day, but we had the headsets on that the sportscaster headsets with a little foam uh, windscreen on the end. And I remember we had the matching blue jackets. Yeah, we looked so, we so looked official. Like. Oh, yeah, and people were in the stands looking up at us and looking at the banner, and I just thought that was a great giggle. <laughs> I thought that that was pretty funny. So that was fun. There was a, there's so many funny stories. You know, you meet so many neat people, and in a town that small, you know everybody, which was kind of cool. And, uh, you know, I kind of miss that in Minneapolis. People are not uh, generally as friendly. They're okay, but it's not like living in a town where like, you bump into people that you know. Where everybody knows your name. Yeah, I mean, that's nice. I remember we didn't lock our cars. We didn't, you know, there was much, very much more of a community kind of a feel, which is not replicated easily when, it, when you start to get more people. But So that was one. There's one story for you. Here's the final question. You've been off the air since 1989 as an announcer. Do you miss being on the radio? Yeah, And if so, what specifically do you miss about it? I miss being on the air with you. Um, I miss... The, Here's the check. The, the, yeah. Here's the check. <laughs> yeah, I, I miss you know, you know, listening to some of the air checks and some of, the, some of the bits that we were listening to. You know, some of it was pretty funny. I thought there was, some of it was like, wow, that's pretty good radio. I mean, for, I mean, for us being relatively young as we were at the time and... Um, you know, just kind of trying to feel our way about, you know, coming I you're doing the business first. It's just like anything. You're trying to figure out, well, what do you, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to sound like and all of that? And uh, having fun, doing something that was funny always was great. I, like I was saying, if I, if I could come up with consistently really good material, I think I could have been really good. <laughs> the problem is that I get bursts of something where it's like, oh, that is so funny. And other people were like, that's funny. And I go say, yeah, if I could have just done that for four hours a day, five days a week. But uh, you know, I don't think I would have made it as a well, you know. Actually, I probably would have made it as a stand-up comic because they usually do the same shtick. <laughs> That's all it is, you it's like know. Like Jerry Seinfeld, I don't have any new material. Well, it's the same bits. I had a good friend up in Wisconsin. He was a stand-up comic, and uh, the thing that I was amazed by was, you know, I went to go see his first show, and you know, he did his show, and then I went to see him his same show like in another town, and he did the same show. <laughs> and my perception of stand-up comic was, hey, you you know, you know, never do the same material over and over. Yeah. You always rewrite it. You're always fresh and all that stuff. And I was just shocked that he did the same show in every town he did. And it's like, well, dummy, that makes sense. Yeah, different these, audience. These people are only seeing it for the first time. So. Yeah, well, every now and then you do need to fresh it up. I saw Jerry Seinfeld um, in Minneapolis a couple of years ago, and he was doing some of the same bits that he had done like in the very first episodes of of Seinfeld. It's kind of like, okay, now that was like eight years ago. <laughs> Come on. 
you know, throw us a little bit of a bone of something new here. But uh, but I like I like Jerry Seinfeld. I think he's pretty funny. One of the, probably one of the more talented guys. But so I mean, I thought I mean I think in in a lot of uh, DJs, I think there's there's always that person that wants to be in show business. I mean, I think it's kind of one of the lowest levels of show business that you can be in. Maybe not the lowest, but it's it's kind of like that first rung of of kind of like bigger time. You know, I'm at, I do a show. I you know I try to tell funny stories and I try to entertain and and uh, and that kind of thing. So yeah, a little bit of ham inside of me, I think. You know, there's a little bit of that. So I miss doing that. I, I've tried to do some voiceovers over time, and I have done a few, um, not as many as I would like. I'm going to try to be getting more into that. So if you need some voiceover work, my voice is for hire and contact Bill. He'll get a hold of me. And again, your 15% commission. Catching. That's right. Catching. <laughs> I only speak English, sorry, so if you need a translation into another language, I took two years of German, but it's not going to help, so I can only ask where the restroom is. (laughs) Steve, it's time to play Ask Bill 3, and it's time to turn the tables, and you get to ask three questions about anything except where's the bathroom. So do it in English. Fire no, away. And you know, your questions were so deep and so national. I am almost embarrassed to read my three questions because they're like um, cotton candy. Let's we'll call Good, it. But I'm, that's okay. You know, I mean, we got to have a little bit of sweet and a little bit of sour. So this will be probably a little bit of carnival food questions for you. But I thought a cakewalk. I thought, I thought they would be kind of fun because that's the kind of mood that I'm in today. World Wide Web listeners. Greenland, thanks for tuning in. <laughs> okay, question number one for Bill. What is your favorite Mel Brooks movie? And then, of course, why? Favorite Mel Brooks movie was Blazing Saddles. Mm, good choice. Because of the fact that, you know, you, it just had a lot of strange comedy in it that uh, you wouldn't see on sitcoms during the time. Now that type of humor is on Basically every sitcom, but yep. at the time it was that was very cool, and it made fun of stereotypes, made fun of the West, uh, especially way back, way back when. So, yep. so Mel Brooks, Blazing Saddles was that was it for me. How about for you? Yeah, no, that was my favorite one. I was hoping you'd say that because that was kind of a movie that was in vogue right not too far after when we met. And I think the reason why I would like that one the most is uh, I think the actors were just. So connected. Cleavon Little and Gene Wilder, there was just a good energy there that I just thought was, I mean, it was good, funny kind of an, kind of an energy. You know, Mel Brooks, he's kind of a one-trick pony as far as the kind of humor. I mean, it's kind of a little bit, you know, the off, a little blue. But, uh, uh, you know, he, he can be very clever. If you saw Spaceballs, there were some very funny things on Spaceballs where they go to, they can't find the princess, so they go to the video collection and, you know, find themselves in, in the, where they are in the movie so they can fast forward to find it. I mean, things like that, they're just kind of like out there. And I don't know if Mel thought that up or if a writer did, but whoever did, it was very clever. So he does on occasion do some things that are kind of like, ah, that's funny, that's different, it's, it's, it's kind of cool, but a lot of it's just kind of, you know, it's a fart joke, but, well, you know, what, what the heck. Okay, here's question number two. What musical performer has influenced you the most and why? I think I'd have to go all the way back to my early, early days and say there, there are probably two influences. The first one was Neil Diamond, mm-hmm. and, and that was because my folks had Neil Diamond records on all the time as I was growing up. So, so that was kind of one of those artists where it's like, okay, that's, you know, he sounds really good. I like the music. 
And then when I got into high school, my brother-in-law had an album of Mott the Hoople. The hoople, and boy. and so you know, I would listen to that album, and it was just so different. And the album was uh, Mott the Hoople, the Hoople. It's the blue album with with the girl with the pictures <laughs> or all over for her hair. And I listened to that album, you know, five six times in a row, and it's just like that is so different from anything else that I've listened to. And so from then, I got into foreigner and boston and journey and all those others so it was like the next step into rock and roll so early on when i was a kid it was neil diamond then mott the hoople just turned the light on for me for rock and roll interesting interesting choice i would say you know surprisingly because i don't listen to this guy this performer that much now maybe because it's just the way that the music industry's changed but elton john was a real uh, I was an artist that I listened to a lot. I bought a couple albums of his growing up and uh, liked a lot. I didn't really get into the Beatles, actually, until it was... I mean, I grew up through the 60s, but I really didn't start to listen to them a lot until probably 75, 76, where I really got down to, I'm going to sit and listen through the album. I, I'd heard the hits, because the radio stations always played you know, what was the most popular tracks, but, I mean, a lot of the songs that were like between all the hits were kind of like huh this is kind of good or this is interesting this is different you know when finally listened to the white album back into the, and not until like 76 or so you know it's like oh well, isn't this interesting and i didn't get into the beatles till about 78 79 till when sadly to say sergeant pepper's the movie came out and oh. then it was like i wanted to find out the rest of the stuff and then he admitted early, it and then early into my <laughs> 20s i remember they started releasing yeah um you know some of the, the albums and we get some at the radio station and i taped them before anybody else got them oh. at the station and then when uh the beetle albums first came out on cd oh, yeah. i i kind of got into collecting those type of albums yeah. well and to listen to them without the, the needle noise and all of that i mean they sounded they then they still do on cd sound so cool very, 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 very good. So, yeah, I mean, those are the big But Delton John, surprisingly, I mean, if I think of, like, who I first had his records, uh, Chicago was another one. And then as I've gotten older, I've gotten into jazz. I like uh, Tom Scott. And uh, if any of your fans are Candy Dolfer, a, a beautiful woman who plays the saxophone, she is she's very funky. She's really good. So if you want to sample some funky jazz, listen to Candy Dolfer. She's good. She's really good. Okay, question number three. For you, about you, where do you see yourself in five years? Hopefully still on the planet Earth. Good place to be. But you, you never know. Maybe we'll have interplanetary technology, but I don't think so in the next five years. It might take six years to develop it, but certainly it's possibility in five years. I, I see myself still running my business you know that's something that i'm very proud of that i i started and i guess i've always had that independent strength and you've known me for over 25 years so you know that that's also both a asset and sometimes it could be a hindrance but i think in in this particular aspect that streak of independence is very very beneficial so i see myself building Upon my business, I would like for the podcasting in the next five years to really be a bigger part of the business. And I think in five years, that certainly has a possibility. So in five years, I hope to still be doing what I'm doing more of, maybe 
within five years, I'll be married, start the family, get that all started off. Who knows? You just never know. But the main thing is that I, I hope I'm still here. I still hope I'm surrounded by great friends like yourself. I still hope my family is, is intact as well. And I hope I'm still in very good health and wish that for everybody else, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and as you, to follow up on your question, what about what the world happening in the next 10 years? You know, I think that, uh, you know... As we are, the world will also be. So hopefully everyone that's listening will try to find something good of what they heard from two people who are definitely pro-cooperation and getting along and take that, spread the seeds where they can spread it, and, you know, that's kind of where it starts. Uh, the old think globally and act locally, you know. Steve, thank you so much for being our guest this week on You Are the Guest. Thanks, Bill. If you'd like to be a guest, it's real easy to find out how. Just go to our website at www.youaretheguest.com and click Be the Guest for all the details. That takes care of another edition of You Are the Guest. From the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa, I'm Bill Grady. Thanks for listening.